No, sir. Praise God. Woo! Go ahead and praise him. Amen. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Woo! I love you, God. Praise God. Praise God. Man, it is certainly an honor to be here. And I told my wife all ago, I said, just about 8 o'clock, I think, this morning. I wish I was just preaching right now so I can get it out of the way and I can be nice again. You preachers probably know what I mean. Sometimes you just get grumpy before you preach, man. I'm usually a friendly type guy. I want to talk and be friendly to people. Amen. And... Uh, Take a deep breath. Don't you don't have to get worried. But uh, I really do feel something on my heart. I, I told my wife yesterday. I said after that preaching, I'm just going to get up and introduce Brother Booker. I was looking around for him. <laughs> Praise God. And someone else told me. They said, "Well, are you preaching first or second? I said, "I don't know. I didn't know till last night." Uh, Brother Mayo announced it, but. They said, uh, if Brother Booker preaches in the morning, you'll be preaching in the afternoon. <laughs> One of your good friends. <laughs> I'll get this done and go have a good nap. And then come back and hear Brother Booker's, you know, message. <laughs> Praise God. I have to say, uh, it, it's an honor just, you know, being up here on the same day with Brother Booker, he uh, certainly has been an idol of mine, and not in a wrong way, but he's one of many men um, that I've been a student of and still am and appreciate him. Brother Bo preaching yesterday, uh, I can remember 30 years ago, Brother Bo, and you came to Bakersfield 31, 32 years ago when I was still there and preached things I've learned. And uh, just some of those messages just, you know, if you're interested in the ministry and, and you want to, uh, you desire uh, to, to be used in the ministry, uh, it would do you well to listen to seasoned men. Amen. And, and find one or two you can hook your wagon to and, and just copy, emulate, learn. To, there's nothing wrong with that highest uh, compliments I've ever received is people say you're more like I.H. Terry than anybody I know. <laughs> I don't try to be like him but I can tell you it's an honor for people to say you're like him. Praise God. And um, I want to just mention how beautiful the church is that when I pulled up yesterday or the day before on Wednesday night, Brother Mayo, and just saw, you know, what it says and what it means, and it just takes a lot of work and a lot of money and and a lot of God to get to this place. I think I understand a little bit of it, and and um, you have to be used, and you have to be willing to be used. You got to let God use you. Um, so Brother Witherspoon said, "You you can't be dilly dallying around." Terry used to quote him and saying, too many of you dilly-dally around. 
there's really no place and time to dilly-dally living for God. I mean, you don't have time to mess around and goof around. And if you're not careful, you'll waste a year. You'll put a year down. And you could be here this year and you were here last year and you're not gained any ground from that year to this year and possibly even lost ground. Well, it's good that you're here, but that's not what God's plan is. God's plan is for every one of us to grow in grace and in knowledge and in the work of the Lord. Amen. On a personal level and on a church level. So to Brother Mayo and Sister Mayo, we feel just a real kindred uh, connection and relationship with them. And uh, we kind of, we're not in competition, we're in coalition. We, we, the Northwest is in trouble if they, uh, if they still think in the old ways of 50 people's enough to have good church. I'd rather have 50 than 40. But, uh, they, you know, this is, it's a different world. Amen. Brother Marks and Brother Urshan, different ones preaching. Brother Bass, just all this preaching has been great. And, uh, and I, I, I believe uh, in revival. And uh, we're having it in the Northwest. And if I do turn on my phone to something like a, a what do they call it? I think Instagram or something. And people are baptizing people. People are getting the Holy Ghost. I like that. I don't want to see your tight dress. And I don't want to see your short skirts. And I don't want to see any of that. There's no place in the house of God for that. No, no place for that. You're not impressing anybody. Not anyone that counts, I promise you. And guys, you don't have to grow beards and mustaches to be cool. Just get full of the Holy Ghost. Probably the maddest I ever got was at a district conference where they were trying to okay mustaches for the Hispanics and nobody else. I mean, I had a fit. I yelled and hollered on the district floor. Finally, one of the presidents got up and said, well, let's just table this till the next year. You know, I know what they were thinking. Maybe Jess won't be here. I was screaming. That's the only time I ever got mad like that at a district conference. I said, bless God, if they're going to grow a mustache, I am too, and I'm not growing one. I, well, that's not in my notes. Maybe I better just get to preaching, huh? There's some things I've learned, Brother Paul, I'm telling you. That stuff ain't going to work. It's not going to work. We don't want to look like the world. We don't want to act like the world. This is an apostolic church. This apostolic preacher right here. In this coalition, we've got some agreement. Praise God. Praise God. Woo! Let's turn our Bibles this morning. Again, a big thank you to the church here. And I can say like Brother Bass did, ditto to everything Brother Bo said. It just wasn't quite enough Reese's Buttercups, but I had some in my truck, in that basket. But there are things in there, man. I could have a yard sale with that thing. Make money on this deal. Praise God. 
Exodus, the 23rd chapter. But uh, what a great feeling. I mean, if somebody can't preach in this atmosphere like it was yesterday, there's something definitely wrong with you. Amen. And, uh, and I'd, man, I'd love to tell you some cowboy stories today. I'd, I'd love to tell them, Brother Booker, about Perkner Perkins and, and the horse trader. But I, I'll tell you something. I, I just got to preach what God's put on my heart. I love telling stories, man. I do. I love listening to them. I'll tell you how bad I am. I love to listen to myself tell them. It's awful. It's awful to be like that. One of my fishing buddies, John Hickerson, he said, that Jess, he likes to hear himself talk. We used to fish about 70 days a year together. And, um, people said, as another, we had a common friend. Actually, he, um, John introduced me to him, Mike Weaver, a good friend of mine. And, um, and uh, Mike Weaver's telling a story just a couple weeks ago. I was bass fishing with some guys. And, and uh, he said, you know, you ever be around Jess and John? John's my senior by 15 years and said they're the most polite men to each other. So I've never seen two men so polite. In fact, I've never seen Jess be polite to anybody like he is John Hickerson. And John is just one of the kindest, mellowest guys in the world. And said, until they get to bass fishing, if they both get on a bass boat together, and uh, and when one of them is running the trolling motor in the front, uh, you know, you can position that boat, and and you can beat that guy that's on the back like a drum if you want to, because you right when he starts to make a good catch, you can just turn that boat a little bit. His line's right on the propeller of the trolling motor, so he's got a reel in and. You're fishing for that, you know, you get first cast on every hope, you know, I'd run that troll motor. He said, those guys are, hey, John, can I do this for you? Hey, Jess, can I do that for you? And they're the nicest guys till one, the other one gets on that trolling motor. And then it's, you're too fast, you're too slow, you're too close in, you're too far out. Hey, let me run that. So I guess what I'm saying is I get to run the trolling motor here for about 45 minutes and we're going to fish. Listen, how many's ready to do some fishing today? Praise God. Amen. Reading from verse 20. Um, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to thine enemies, but not we wonderful, and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites, the Hittites, I hope I say this right, Brother Bo, the Pezzarites, the all the Ites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, that's the okey way of saying it. And I will cut them off. Everybody say, cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them, clean them out, clean house, and quite break down their images. 
Notice it says, don't serve them nor do after their works. Don't even copy them in, in, in your own little secret ways. Or, well, and you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water. Everybody wants that, huh? And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in the land, in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. And here it is, I will not drive them out from thee or from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee, till thou be increased and inherit the land. I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert under the river for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. There it is again. Don't play with their junk. Then shalt thou, then shall not, they shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Praise God. Verse 30, by little and little. And that's what I want to speak about, little by little. Let's raise our hands and, and ask God to help us. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. How about that? God, we love you. Thank you for this great congregation. Ask you, Lord, to touch me. Give me strength, wisdom. Guide my footsteps, Lord, I pray. Oh, God, the footsteps of a... I want to be a good man today, Lord. I want you to use me. I want to walk in your shoes. Come and walk in mine, Lord. Touch these people, we pray. The greatest people in the Northwest. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Well, clap your hands to the Lord and you can be seated. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless Brother Hoffer. Holy Ghost Radio. Woo! Say Holy Ghost Radio. We listen to it on a daily basis at our house. And um, amen. I'll try and respect the fact that we are uh, being broadcast. And uh, But you know, if, if you tuned in this morning and you're on, I got your radio on, I'm sure you don't want to hear a bunch of mealy mouthing around and patty cake. Anybody want patty cake today? Praise God. I don't want to be. I want a preacher to challenge me. Amen. When they preach, if they, they don't make me feel convicted, I go away feeling kind of deflated. Praise God. I want them to get after me, don't you? That's what they're supposed to do. Amen. A preacher's supposed to preach. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Not by your smarts or your ideas, but the preacher is going to save you. 
Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Here in verse 20, it said, behold, I send an angel. Uh, it, it was a couple of weeks or, or longer uh, ago that God spoke to me about this service. And, and I wrote a few notes down. And, and boy, I just keep getting confirmation after confirmation. Uh, Brother Bo, even I told him some of the last words you said uh, when you closed the service the other day was little by little. And, uh, and, and we've had so much preaching um, about listening to the preacher, obeying the preacher. And, um, and, and, and I, I certainly uh, want to do my best to help you. But the scripture here is, is certainly a, uh, a paradox or just a, 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 you know, the Bible said that the Old Testament was written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world would come. So a lot of people get the idea that's for them. You even hear people, that was for them back in that day. That's baloney. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it's verse 13, says it's for us upon whom the ends of the world should come. And so when we read a story or we read a passage in the Old Testament, it's there for us more than anybody else. And so when we began to read this story, we, began, we know it's the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. We know that, isn't it? That, that's the way it is with you coming out of the world. This really is, is, is just like a parallel uh, to being born again, coming out of the world and, and, and changing your ways and, and cutting off those old idols and those, those old uh, connections with the world, with, with sports and Hollywood and, and movies and dress. And... Oh, yeah. Sports is a mess. And it's the God of this world. I mean, it's for men and women too. Uh, but it's a big deal. And, and the scripture here says, uh, you understand that, that, that Brother Bass put it so perfectly. He saved me about 10 minutes of preaching. Uh, that the angel is the man of God. He's the messenger. Well, when we preach what you like, you come up to us and say, that was a great message. And when we preach something you don't like, you dodge and run. <laughs> Brother Marx is talking about it. You go the other direction when you see him coming. He's the messenger. That's what an angel means, is messenger. And so when, when, when God is telling uh, Joshua here, or uh, the man of God, he's saying now, uh, you, when, 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 you, when you come to uh, the land that flows with milk and honey, he says, here's how you act as saints. You, uh, he's there to keep you in the way, verse 20 says. And there's only one way. Do you all know that? <laughs> to bring thee unto a place which I have prepared, John 14. I've prepared a place for you. But there's a, name, there's a man of God that you need that's going to bring you to that place that God's prepared. You're not getting there by yourself. And God said, beware of him, verse 21. Watch out for him. Amen. He's going to keep you in the way. And he's going to keep you out of trouble. 
but you better beware of him. How many are a little sometimes worried about your pastor? Does he ever scare you? I'm going to tell you something. Brother Bo, the one thing you left out the other day, Brother Terry, when he'd come in up that aisle, he kind of bent his shoulders a little bit like that. When he met business, he had his head down. Here he'd come like this. And he would stare you right in the eyes. Let me tell you something about looking your pastor in the eye. All right? If he looks at you and you don't look him in the eye, well, let's start this way. If he doesn't look you in the eye, there's probably something wrong with him. All right? But if you don't look him in the eye, I know good and well there's something wrong with you. Brother Terry used to come by a, a young man that sat on the front row. My brother Bob, remember that? He'd shake everyone. He might have 10 or 12 sometimes. He'd shake all of our hands like this. Go, oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, hit a cold one. Praise the Lord. Uh, that good praise the Lord. And, and when he did, that's exactly the way he'd do you. If you're sitting there and he said, oh, hit a cold one, you're just like, oh, my God, because everybody heard it. I'll tell you what, you didn't let it happen again. You didn't let it happen again. You got yourself in shape when you got on that platform. And when he came by to shake hands, you're ready. And, and you didn't want to be cold. But what he was telling you, you know, just because I haven't talked to you in the last week or two, I know exactly where you're at. I got my eye on you. I know the temperature of your soul and your spirit. And I got your number. How many's glad for a preacher that's got your number? Amen. Praise God. Matthew 7 says the, the way is narrow and it's straight. You can get in trouble preaching this one-way thing. I'm going to tell you something. I came to the Northwest. Uh, they had several ways to get to heaven. And I came out of a place where there's one way to get it. One way. And I was asked the first year to preach a district conference meeting. And, and uh, I just came from, from uh, Labor Day uh, with uh, Brother Myers up in um, Auburn, uh, Washington. And it was the Myers and Coon Bunch. And, and some of you may have been to some of those meetings. And, and anyway, it got pretty wild. And I was doing the daytimes, and, and men, <laughs> I preached against Braden Hare uh, that meeting. And <laughs> Brother Booker's, you know, I was a student, so he's, he said, man, I ain't never heard anybody preach against Braden Hare. But it is in the Bible under two witnesses. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah, go, go, it's still there. Nobody took it out. Maybe guys quit preaching it, but nobody took it out of the Bible. And, and there's a reason it's in there. And, and we can argue about all the little, this is the meaning of that, and this is the, and here's the Greek on that. And not one of you know enough Greek to order a hamburger at a Greek restaurant. Don't come telling me what this means or what that means. When the best linguistics experts of the day under King James, that's why we use the King James and their life was on the line to get it right, you get up behind the desk and start trying to change what it says, you're going to get yourself in trouble. 
Praise God. Well, everybody say Holy Ghost Radio. Woo! There's only one way. Isaiah said in, in chapter 35, it's written, it said that there, there's a highway and it shall be there. And it's a highway of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass upon it. Neither will the lion nor ravenous beast. Why? You get in the right way and you walk right. And there's protection there. He said, if you do what that preacher says, I'll be an enemy to your enemy. I'll be an adversary to your adversary. I'll fight your battles for you. And all you have to do is listen to that preacher. And obey his voice. That's all you got to do. Praise God. Please receive him. Amen. Beware of him, it says. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not. Don't make him mad. Boy, I made Brother Terry mad a few times. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I can remember about oh, a month after being in church and, and my hair was down my back when I first came back and, and I'd got a haircut before I came, but it was down on my back somewhere. It, it used to be longer than my wife's and um, before Christ. But I had it cut, you know, up around my ears and it was probably on my collar a little bit and, and after living for God for about a month and a half, I, I saw Brother Terry in the lobby and I go, well, how am I doing, Brother Terry? He looked at me like that, and he goes. And I mean, it's like he stuck a pin in me or a knife. And I walked away, and I thought, man, he's a mean old bird. I'm, I've done so much. Everything that they said about him is true. He's mean. And uh, I went and got a haircut. God gave me something. Let me tell you something. And let me tell you a little story. I will tell you one story here. In, in 1948, Brother D Bob Dansby gave me a paper, and I got it framed in my office now. And it was a, a board meeting at the United Pentecostal Church in Bakersfield, Greater Bakersfield, Brother Terry's Church. And they were on 34th Street then. And uh, three board members were Sam White, Brownie Parker, and Julius Lowe. Julius Lowe turned out... Uh, um, just a, a really a, a, in a bad way. And uh, in 1949, one year after this business meeting, it was about raising funds for the church, and 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 that's the biggest need. And those three men were the board members, but Sam White, and my dad, and Julius Lowe. And uh, and 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 the next year, uh, Brother Terry was preaching. He got upset at my dad. Uh, my dad had a tree service company and uh, a pretty good company, and and he employed several of the men in the church. Brother Terry worked for my dad in 1940 uh, through 1944, and um, and several years. Brother A. V. Kelly started. My dad had a tree service company, and Brother A. V. Kelly uh, worked for my dad in the 40s. And um, anyway, uh, he so he was uh, influential in helping people, you know, gain employment and, and make a living. And, and he, according to my dad, he gave good offerings, but he didn't tithe. That'll make a preacher mad. You want to provoke a preacher, don't pay your tithes. You know the difference 
uh, Brother Phil White told me this. I guess it's all right, Phil, to, to repeat this. The difference between a reprobate and a struggling saint, one of them pays their tithes. I thought it was good. In fact, I think it's great. And I'm not home, so I can say I'm over 60 years old. Don't you like for a preacher to kind of open the door sometimes and tell you how he really thinks? Can you handle that? You need to know what he really thinks. Am I telling the truth, Brother Mayo? You'll provoke him. You provoke him because, see, what you're saying, he don't have enough sense to handle this money. And God says he's got enough sense to run the whole church, but he can't run your tithing. And you want to go give it to somebody and act like a big shot giving offerings to some person that could be nine-tenths reprobate or eleven-tenths. So my dad had went to, to Detroit, Michigan and bought a car and came back through. He was come through Texas. He bought five mares off the King Ranch. They were all bred to J.B. King, a great stud, one of the finest quarter horses ever raised in Texas, the biggest ranch in the world at that time. And, uh, and my dad got into the quarter horse business, and he was a leading breeder for many years uh, on the West Coast, and, and he was nationwide a couple of years. He raised the, the finest quarter horses that were, that were born for several years. And he, he didn't dominate it, but he was in the top four or five for 10 years or so. There's still a lot of Parker-bred horses out in the quarter horse business. Anyway, this is how my dad got in the business. He, he had money, and he went back there, and he bought these horses, and he brought them back um, to California, and, uh, and, and, and so on the way back in 1949, um, I think he bought the mares in 51, but on the way back in 49, he bought about oh, several Navajo blankets. If you've ever been to Gallup, New Mexico, or some of those places, the Navajo Indians live there, and they have tribes, and they used to do dances as entertainment off of Route 66, and and we stopped there as kids many times and watched the Navajo Indians dance, and they wove blankets. They still have the finest hand-woven blankets in the world. They're still, I mean, a blanket this size, uh, if it's a Navajo and in good shape, is worth over $1,000. And, and, and the big ones are worth thousands of dollars today. Well, my dad bought four or five of those blankets for $50 apiece in 1949. And somehow Brother Terry found out they were brother-in-laws. I should probably mention that, that my, my mom and Sister Terry are sisters. And, and, and just helping you a little bit understand, the reason why the Terrys went to Bakersfield is because my mother and her parents and her sister, Sister Myers being one, Sister McAllister another, lived there, and they went there to try to get their family, Sister Terry's family, in church. Brother Browning, who was their pastor, said that when Brother Terry left there, he didn't even know Brother Terry was a preacher. And Sister Terry said things like, she would just tell Brother Terry, she said, you better preach or I'm going <laughs> to. This is how it got started. And, and, and so anyway, now we're, we're into the church a few years. They started in 43, and this is 49. And Brother Terry, you know, has got put my dad on the board. He's wanting him to kind of shape up and do right. And, uh, and he heard about him spending three or 400 bucks buying a new car and then spend three or 400 bucks in 1949 on horse blankets. And, and, and Brother Terry just got up and was preaching about tithing. He said, some of you men 
will spend $50 on a horse blanket but won't tithe. It was Sister Helen King's first service, Brother Johnny King's mother, the very first time she went to church. And I think there were 24 people in church then. And, uh, and my dad just got up, and he, just, he was sitting back there, and he walked right up to the pulpit, and he just plastered Brother Terry right in the face. <laughs> Brother Harold Blankenship was playing a Gibson guitar that my father had bought him, and he grabs that Gibson guitar that was on a stand or seat there and picked it up and started to hit Brother Terry over the head with it. Brother Terry raised his head and started praying. And my dad set it down. I think the book says that he hit him with it, but he didn't. My dad looked and thought how much he paid for that guitar and decided against hitting him over the head with it. It was six years before I was born. My oldest brother was there as a baby and... And my dad just walked down the center aisle and grabbed Mike out of my mother's hands and walked out and never went back to church for 58 years. Wow. He gave both of my sisters, Sally and Katie, away at their weddings. Brother Terry preached and, and did the vows at both their weddings. And, and, and my dad never spoke a word to Brother Terry. And he told him, if you ever see me in a store, if you ever see me out working, if you ever see me doing anything, you go the other way because if you ever speak to me or get in my way again, I'm going to kill you. I sat, you know, at eight years old, my parents divorced over the church. And at 12 years old, almost 13, I moved out with my dad to the ranch. And so I proceeded to listen to, for 13, 12, 13 years, my dad fume about what was wrong with I.H. Terry. And in the summer of 1980, God got to talking to me and dealing with me. He dealt with me before and through those years, but I mean, it, it, it multiplied. And, and the first service that I went to, I just got up on a Sunday morning in our house in 1980 in the summer, late spring, or I think it was early summer, and uh, no one had any idea. I was a drug dealer for several years and a smuggler out of Mexico and things, and, and I... And I got up and I said, okay, everybody, we had a good friends being on Debbie McMahon living with us and their baby. And I said, everybody lives in this house going to church today. My wife had no idea I'd even had a thought of God or going to church or doing anything like that. And I told them, get dressed and get ready and we're going to church. And they shockingly got ready and, and got in the car and I drove to the to the charismatic hippie church. <laughs> and one, you know, I'm like that guy that, where it says little by little, I'm like that boy that it's time to cut the dog's tail off, you know? And he didn't want to cut the whole thing off at once. He cut it off an inch at a time so it wouldn't hurt so bad. <laughs> a lot of saints like that, boy, in there. I thought, I can get right at Calvary Chapel, man. All my friends go there. Went there, they was wearing shorts, long hair, and tank tops and stuff. And, and, and so we went out to get Sister Parker baptized. She really wasn't Sister Parker yet, but she was, she was on her way. And it was at Kesterson Lake. And, 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 and we got out to that lake, Brother Mayo, and there was people sitting around in groups and and talking, and this is a church service. They're drinking beer and listening to rock and roll music. And, and, and she got real nervous. She said, I don't, I don't really like this, Jesse. She'd only been to church two times in her life. 
not counting the two services or three services we went to at Calvary Chapel. And, and uh, no offense, that's just the way it was. And, uh, and, and so I walked out to the water with her, and I told the guy, now look, when you baptized my wife, they had three or four guys baptizing. I said, when you baptize her, you baptize her in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You understand? And the guy goes, uh, yeah, I understand, but I'll have to go talk to the pastor. I said, well, go talk to the pastor. And he went over there and talked to the pastor a little bit. And he came back and says, I can't do that. And, and my wife said, well, I don't want to get baptized then. Let's leave. She went home, got on the phone. I said, call every church in town and, and see how many of them will baptize you in Jesus' name. And she couldn't find one. There's one church that she didn't call. <laughs> it's the one who baptized you in Jesus' name. It only took me two or three weeks I think it was a two-week period, but three services. And the, and the third service, the pastor got up and said, there's somebody in this church uh, that's going around talking about Jesus' name. And he said, I'll have you know, uh, uh, we don't want that around here. And he, I mean, he ironed me out from the pulpit and, and didn't know my name. You know, I knew several people in the church. And then as he walked out, he introduced someone else to preach. He headed for the foyer, and I was standing in the foyer. I put that Von Morton look on him. You know, Brother Morton. <laughs> Elder Morton, I should say. And I said, I, I think you're talking about me. And he said, well, are, you don't believe he's the father, do you? I go, sure do. And he said, what you need is some Bible studies. I said, no, you need some Bible studies. I knew then. Woo! I want a preacher to show me the way. I will give you two cents for a preacher that doesn't preach the essentiality of Jesus' name. Let me tell you something. If your preacher tells you you can be saved with simple repentance, he's reprobate. You can be seated. Romans chapter 1 said he holds the truth in unrighteousness. If they know what it says and won't preach it, they're reprobate. Somebody say Holy Ghost Radio. Man, I hope my charismatic relatives are listening to this, brother. Yes, sir. Woo! They already know. They won't be surprised. But the world needs to know, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. You must. Give me a man of God that will show me the way. Show me how to get to that desired place. Praise God. Praise God. But Terry, my, my, my folks, my relatives start calling me. Uh, I, just, I, I just said, well, we're going to a different church today, folks. And we went to 36 and 0. Amen. That's the only place to go in Beggarsfield, 36 and 0. Brother, I, it's Terry's church. And when he's the first service, let me tell you, the first Sunday, uh, at the end of the service, he comes in the back and he had heard my wife was taking Bible studies from Aunt Libby and 
and uh, which is one of the sisters, one of Terry's sisters too. And, and, and so he comes to the back. I'm sitting over here about like this brother here, Brother Blankenship, right behind him. And he starts talking to me after the Sunday morning service. And we kind of got our swords crossed a little bit. And here's what my, my, my aunt, Maggie, had been in a coma for about five years. She, she stayed in a coma for seven years and then died. But I said to her, Brother Kern, I said, uh, you know why my aunt Maggie's in a coma all these years? And, you know, Brother Terry's already blowed up. Brother Bray and four or five other men are standing there like ready to pounce on me, you know, if I did something. He said, why? I said, because the way you're mean to people. And my wife said, and she, she saw all this. And, I mean, he just, he, you know, he's 67 years old. He wanted to hit me so bad. And I wanted him to so bad. I, I was wanting him to take a swing at me, you know. I was going to pull a Brownie Parker on him. And I offered to give him a whipping right there in the church. I said, I'll whip you right here. And finally we argued. I left. I walked out. And, and I turned around when I got into the lobby. I said, tell you what, you go that way, and I'll go this way to my car. And I said, you'll never see my face again. And you stay clear of me. I went out, and I didn't even have my car. I rode with Aunt Libby and her little red Volvo. And I got in there, and I shut the door, and I locked it, and I rolled up the window, and I'm sitting there. And here comes Brother Terry. Out through that parking lot and, and, and comes right up to the window of my car and stands right there over by my Aunt Libby's car and stands right there. And finally goes, I thought you was a man. Boy, I unlocked that door and wham, I hit it and knocked him in the chest with that door and he went flying backwards like that. When he stopped, I was standing on his toes. And I said, you want me to show you I'm a man? He goes, no, no. And I said, then go your way and I'll go mine and stay out of my face. That was a Sunday morning, and, and I left. But I, I, I didn't get home till the tears started trying to squeak out of my eyes. And I said, bro, I started telling myself, I said, man, why'd you do that? That's the only place you can go. God started dealing with me, and it started breaking me up inside. And I said, man, what, like, what an idiot. Why, why'd you do that? Thursday night rolled around, Bible study, Brother Mayo, and guess who was in the lobby early for church? Four nights later, I'm, in, I'm back at the church. And somebody told Brother Terry, Jesse's here. <laughs> here he come again. <laughs> he come around the corner. He had that head down. His shoulders squared. like He coming at me like a bulldozer, Brother Bill. You, you've seen it a lot of times. And I thought, I'm going to have to hit him. I don't know what, you know. <laughs> and you've got to understand, I, it was a humbling. I was a proud. I guess I still am. I know I still am. But I was really proud then. And, and I mean, you're proud, proud enough to hit a preacher that's, you know, 15, 20, 30 years older than you. You're messed up. But that's all I knew before. That's all my dad had taught me. That's all the world had taught me. You don't like something, fight. And, and so I'm there. And here he comes around the corner. He goes, I thought you said you wasn't coming back. And I put my hands up. I said, uh, take it easy on me. And he goes, Okay. Went to the pulpit and ironed me out, Brother Mayo. I'm telling you, he went to Jeremiah chapter 1. He said, God sent me to tear down, destroy, and rip out. And rebuild. I mean, he just worked me over, man. I'm going to tell you something. The whole time he was preaching, I was just saying, Brother Bird, just saying, hurry up, I'm ready. 
And I mean, as soon as he just allowed us, and everybody in the place knew he was preaching to me. And I'm just nodding my head and my wife sitting by me. And when it came time for the altar call, I didn't ask her, do you want to go? I didn't care if she wanted to or not. My, my attitude was, she wants to come, she can come. But I'm going regardless of anybody. And I went and hit that altar and put my face on that altar at Brother Terry's feet. I humbled myself by the mail and I told God, I said, God, I don't have a lot to offer. But what I do, if you can use what I have, I said, I'm yours. Boy, it wasn't very long. See, it wasn't very long. We was out playing basketball with the guys in the church and I got a little rough with old Alvin Wilson and, and he pushed me and I pushed him and pretty soon I said, let's take it over here on the grass. Another guy, like 15, 20 years older than me, but feisty. You, you remember those guys, LD and them, man. They're some of my dearest friends today. But they fought too, you know. We, they were bar guys, and they're just scrappy. That Bakersfield church, I mean, you don't want to start trouble and act like you had a devil there. You get beat up. <laughs> come try that in LeGrand sometime. Come, out, come act out sometimes, you know. It's not a good idea. You get whipped. And then prayed through. I had to call Brother Paul Mooney one time because I was over at Brother Satterwhite's church. And there's a man came to church. He's having revival. He's going to baptize this lady. And I told Brother Mooney this story. I said, yeah. And he said, right when he gets her in the baptistry and he's in there with her, the man or the woman's husband stands up and says, if you baptize her, there's going to be trouble. This is Eastern Oregon for you. And a couple of big old guys in the church kind of got around him. And, and Brother Satterwhite, you know, he's like, I'm going to baptize her regardless. She wants to be baptized. And he's kind of looking at a few of the men like, don't let him get me. <laughs> Brother Satterwhite, that's right, Brother Satterwhite? Pretty close anyway, huh? And he baptized her in Jesus' name. And when he, she starts to come up, this man goes to attack Brother Satterwhite in the baptistry. Well, two or three, one big electrician, a couple people grab him and just snatch him back away from the elder. Well, he started swinging. And, and they knocked him down into the floor. <laughs> and he's laying down on the floor, and he reaches over, and he bites one of the men on the leg. Ah! And I've been bit on the leg, too. In the same type of situation, somebody trying to act like they had a devil anyway. But when they're on the floor, and they're biting your leg, and you're right here, you know what the natural reaction is? And that old boy plugged him, didn't he, Brother Satterwhite? Put a big nine stitches over his eye. Don't mess with my preacher. Don't make a move toward my preacher. Woo! That guy came back. He came back the next night of revival. And when he got there at that next night of revival, he had a big patch on his eye. He got out of jail that morning. And he got up to testify during testimony service, Brother Mayo. He said, you know, I came to fight last night. And he said, that's just what I got was a fight. He said, but I come to get the Holy Ghost tonight. And that's what he got. Praise God. <laughs> A few days later, I mean, sometime later, I called headquarters, Brother Jack Wallace answered the phone, and he said, well, who am I talking to? I go, Jesse Parker. And I'd known him. My mom worked there at Gateway and, and went, to, went to church with them and at headquarters for several years, seven, eight years. And 
And so Brother Wallace said, the Jesse Parker? And I said, what do you mean? He said, the one who knocked the guy out at the baptistry? I said, who told you that, brother? He said, well, I was at the, uh, the Indiana camp and, and said, brother Paul Mooney told it preaching. Next phone call I made was Paul Mooney, and I, I said, Brother Mooney, I said, I told you that story, but you know good and well it wasn't me that hit that. He said, well, I forgot, Brother Parker. I said, well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I said, can I ask you, how many camps have you told that at this summer? Long period of silence. He goes, three, Brother Parker. The stories can get started about your preacher. Don't believe everything you hear. Yeah. Praise God. Brother Kuhn was telling Brother Myers, so we were down in the little church there at Auburn and, and, and sitting at a table one time, and, and he's a big, strong man. I don't know if you guys, some of you know the Coons, but every one of them, those three boys, Mike and Steve and, and I forget John. And Jonathan Kuhn is the pastor now there in Linwood, but they're all 300-pounders, you know, and solid muscle. I mean, they're big, strong guys. Brother Coons, 6'4", 5", and 290 pounds. And he said, this guy came in the lobby, and he was starting to fight. Brother Coon went off the platform and went back there to try to calm him down. You know, his hands are twice as big as mine. And, and he kind of tried to tell the guy, hey, you need to calm down. The guy went in his pocket for a pocket knife. And, and Brother Coon said, he was telling the story, and he said, you know, Brother Meyer, he didn't call him Brother Myers. He said, Brother Meyer and Brother Giddy. And anyway, he said, I hadn't hit anybody since I got in church. Nathan Curran was sitting there. He's a boy about 12 years old. He said, well, I've hit a lot of them since I've been in church. <laughs> There's your daddy right there wagging his head. Yeah. There's, there's something about obeying the man of God. And, and if you don't, listen, if you're crossways with your pastor today, you better get it fixed today. Get it fixed today. Let me tell you the meat of this message. I don't have time to really preach it, but let me tell you the meat of it. Is the scripture says little by little. Everybody say little by little. It went on to say, I can't give it to you in one year. He can't give them the whole land and wine because you're not able to take care of it. It said the beast would take it over. So God's watching as you make these steps. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He said, uh, I'm going to preach the gospel to the Jew first, also to the Greek. But he said, here is how the, wherein is the righteousness of God revealed. How many can quote the next part? Step by step. And so when you, when you think of that and, and you, you look at this little by little, you've got to do it a little at a time. And so the way righteousness is revealed in you is that you, you, you get on a step of faith and you hold it. You could start with paying your tithes. You could start with praying every day. You could start. There's just all these little things you need to do one step at a time. And once you get on it, it's yours, and you live it, and you're going to stick with it. All right, if you went on down in the first chapter of the book of Romans, it starts talking about men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You know what they're saying? They know what the Scripture said. They've seen those steps before, but now they're not standing on them. 
they know what the book says, but they don't want to preach it because of the crowd. And, and they start preaching, they start putting more emphasis on the creature than the creator. And God turns them over to a reprobate mind. And, and when, when a guy knows what righteousness is, and, and that's how it's revealed. You know how a preacher can tell you love this holiness message? When your pastor just makes a little, just a little statement about the way your skirt looks or, or, or the way how tight your, your suit jacket is or how your hair is combed or, or, or if you got paint on your face or something on your eyes or something or jewelry on or something and he makes a statement, he can tell how obedient you are. Because see, the scripture said, he's the, obey his voice, don't make him mad. Be really careful to do anything he says do. Because his job, come here and help me, young man. His job is to lead you to your enemies. To the Hittites. Oh, man, that'd be high skirts. Well, the Jebusites. Sports. The Hivites, your money. His job, whatever your problem, this man might have one problem. You can be seated, thank you, young man. And he goes over here to this guy and says, come with me. I'm going to lead you over here and show you something you need to work on. And he brings you to a place, his job by preaching. He shouldn't have to call you up and take you out and buy you coffee and a hamburger. All he needs to do is preach it. This guy's trying to pull away from me a little bit right now. He's nervous. He's nervous about what I'm going to say. Relax, buddy. I'm the kind of guy to get you to heaven. All right? And it's okay if you're a little bit nervous. I've been doing this long enough. I don't get nervous about this. I know why I'm here. I know who I am. I don't want that to sound wrong. And I know what God wants me to say. And so I'm going to say it. All right? This is my job. To find out and look and watch people and see what's wrong with them. You can sit down. Thank you. What did they do? What, what did the book of Revelation, Brother Bass, preach it yesterday? You know what he did? Is, is God would just brag on them, man, in Ephesus. And he'd brag on them in Smyrna. And he'd tell them all the good things. Boy, you've tried those to say they're apostles and they're not. <laughs> But you got Jezebel in your church too. Why you let Jezebel stay in your church? That's what he's telling the messenger. Get those people and show them Jezebel. You got the Nicolaitans. You know, those weren't the Syrophoenicians or the Philistines. Or, I mean, there was no such race of people as the Nicolaitans. It was a spirit. Nicolaity really means that, you know, laity is the people and Nico is rule. What it's talking about is the church is running the church. The people, the laity is trying to run the church. And that's a spirit that gets in churches. Brother Terry used to say, if you got a board run church, you need a board on your backside. God never set it up that way. Well, I hit a rock there. Hit a cold one. You 
you got, I'm going to tell you something. You have no idea how that church ought to be run. You have trouble running your family, and you won't try to tell a preacher how to run a church. Come on. You, hey, I'm past 60. <laughs> I'm under subjection, Brother Morton. And, uh, you know, Brother Terry died on me. Brother Myers died on me. I've had elders, and, 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 and they, Brother Terry was never shy about telling me what was wrong in my life. And I just got closer. I mean, I, I got crossways with him after I pastored for 10 years. And, um, and, and Brother Booker and Brother Bo and some others were really glad to see Brother Terry get mad at me. He didn't talk to me for two, three years. And so I went to, I was invited to preach on Founders Day or the day before Founders Day at um, the, dead, or not the anniversary at Bakersfield. And so I was preaching on Saturday night. Brother Terry's preaching on Sunday morning. And he didn't even come and hear me on Saturday night. He's retired at the church he built. And, and so I thought, boy, uh, it's still kind of, you know, a little crossways there. He's still a little bit upset at me. I won't tell you some of the things he said. In fact, he told me I can never tell my side of the story. So I'm just going to tell you what happened. So the next day, <laughs> this is not my opinion. <laughs> The next day, Sunday morning, is Founders Day, and Brother Terry always preached on Founders Day, and so I brought my family, and we were to preach on uh, Sunday night down in Southern California, but I said, we need to go here, Brother Terry, and, and I'm going to go up. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make things right. And I'd been up to him and said, Brother Terry, you're the greatest preacher in the world, and, and, and you know, I'm in subjection, anything you say. And he says, okay, but he looked at me like, I'm going to get you, boy. And so he got up that Sunday morning, and he read out of the book of Philemon, you owe me your life. He was talking to Philemon. Uh, Paul was about Onesimus, the, the slave. And he said, you owe me so much more than this man owes you. Put it on my account because you yourself owe me your life. And so what he preached, he, he got up and when he announced his title, he said, now, I was going to preach something else. But he said, Jess is here today. <laughs> Five, six hundred people, that church packed out. He said, Jess is here today, and so I'm going to preach this. Stand up, Jess. And he said, now I'm going to tell it, and you're never going to tell your side, and uh, that's the way it's going to be. You understand? I said, yes, sir. Okay, you can sit down. Yes, sir. And he proceeded to take about an hour and 15 minutes and iron me out in front of everybody. And I just took it. And when he was done, I walked up to him and I shook his hand and I hugged his neck and I said, you're the greatest preacher in the world, Brother Terry, and you're right. Uh, I'm never even, I may have told this at home. But I'm going to tell you what happened. In his, uh, the, after that, the years that came, when he got ready to leave town, um, I think many times I was the first person that he called. Here's the way he used to do me. He, he still liked his paycheck. And he'd call me Brother Bo, and he'd say, you got $1,000? And I'd say, yes, sir, I do, whether I did or not. That's the way he started the conversation. He said, I'll be there tomorrow. I said, okay. And uh, he would show up. I asked him one time, how many times are you going to preach? He said, I don't know, maybe once. I said, that's great. And time and time again. We got pictures of Brother Terry holding uh, 
Laura and Tricia and Justin, all three of them in his lap. We pulled up in our driveway one day, and he had been helping me in my garden. Sister Parker and I went somewhere, and we pulled up in the driveway, and Brother Terry had all three of those little kids in his lap, and all four of them were sound asleep. We pulled our car up and didn't even wake them up. So we got out with a camera and took a picture. And I got pictures in my house, Brother Terry in a straw hat with me, cowboy hat. We're standing out in front of my house, and, and, and those pictures are in my office, and, and they're in my home. Let me tell you something right here and right now. If you don't have a picture of your pastor in your living room, there's something wrong with you. And his wife. I, I know I got a bunch of you there, but why not? Brother Martin, uh, the day I, I talked to him, uh, you know, quite a bit, and, and he told me, he said, okay, I'll come to your place as soon as I retire. He retired on Sunday night, preached his last message at Fresno, got in his car the next morning, drove halfway to Legrand, and then arrived on Tuesday afternoon, stayed with us a couple weeks and, and preached for us, just stayed in our home. We took some snapshots, you know, man, as soon as I got them blowed up and got them framed, my wife framed them immediately, and, and we hung them in my office and hung them in our house. And, and I, got, I got pictures of Brother Myers and Sister Myers. I got pictures in my office. I got pictures of Brother Frost and Brother Terry and Sister Terry and Brother Terry. And they're through the years, and they're in my home. You walk in my home, you'll see a picture of my dad. You'll see a picture of Brother Terry. Let me tell you something. After 58 years of not speaking, Brother Terry and my dad buried the hatchet in my living room. My dad prayed back through after 60 years through the Holy Ghost at my place. I watched Brother Terry stick his hand out like that, shaking Brother Bo, and my dad get up on a cane and shake his hand. That happened in my living room. And, I mean, Brother Terry did, I mean, some of the greatest things. And when you walk from my office door uh, to the platform at our church, uh, I got some pictures, just a few little pictures right there, small pictures hung on the wall. And my mother's one of them, me and my mom together. And uh, there's Joe and I. We graduated from vacation Bible school when we were about 8 and 10 years old, or less than that, probably 6 and 8 years old. And I'm the only one who had a diploma. We both had the hats on, but I'm the only one with the diploma. And Joe had an expert take it and erase what was on the diploma on the outside and have printed. I mean, it's real fine. The thing is littering your, your little fingernail. The picture's only like this big. And, and I'm holding that paper, and he had written on there, voted most likely to grow up and preach the gospel. <laughs> but it's right there when you walk from the, the, the office to the platform. And then Brother Terry's picture's there, and Brother Vaughn Morton's picture's there. And uh, I just got Brother Morton's picture up there this year, this past year. And here's what he told me. We were sitting at lunch one day. And, and he said, you know, uh, Jesse... He said, I got two pictures in my home, in my office at home. I got two men's pictures. And you know who they are? He said, Brother Rody and I.H. Terry. Those are the two pictures in my office. And because Brother Terry wasn't afraid to tell Brother Morton, buddy, you don't get everything. You've heard it takes a long time to get a gate or let it unfold. What the message there is, he's telling me, you don't get there in one day. You don't get there in one year. You guys, so many of you, you want the pulpit like someone mentioned the other day. You're looking for some kind of angle. To get to. Let me tell you how you get to a pulpit. Little by little. Little by little. You get there message after message and, 
and, and approaching subjects and doing it in the right way and letting God use you in the right way, that's how you get there. You don't jump from the pew to the platform or, or to the pulpit. Now, Brother Terry would give us some experience like that. But it, it comes little by little. And it comes because you're listening. You've got a man in your life that can tell you what to do and when to do it. Some of you are thinking this right now. You're, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, um, then why, if it's little by little, why have I been in church five or ten years and I seem to be in the same place I was five years ago? Anybody bold enough to raise their hand? You're thinking, like, why, why can't I seem to make progress? And I was praying about this the other day and just feel like that God just told me, you need to say this, and so I'm going to say it. I'm going to tell you why. Because he promised you, if you listen to your pastor and do what he says, watch him closely, listen to him closely, and do what he says. He does not have to say your name. You just got to hear what he says. It's for everybody. And just go do it. All right? And so if you'll do it, God said, I'll be an adversary. You know, the devil, we heard it, lion, our adversary is trying to devour us. Right? But he said, if you want me to be the adversary to the devil, you want me to fight the devil for you, all you have to do is listen to the man of God, and when he preaches something that hits your life, do what he says do. That's why you're not where you should be today, because you got a problem doing what he says do. you got a better idea... Okay, that's explanation one. B is this. In between the times of gaining that little step, all right, you think, well, I made some ground here, man. Pastor used me and, and let me lead song service. And, and uh, maybe you're on. I mean, this nobody in this building is exempt from this. These greatest preachers and evangelists that are here, they've got to have a pastor. The only thing worse than not obeying your pastor is not having a pastor, Brother Bo. That's worse than not open because you ain't even got a chance to make yourself subject to anyone. Well, well, well. That's for this section. All right, but here's the problem. Here's the deal. Those little steps, you make that little step and you cover it. And you make another little step and you cover it. And, and man, people start bragging on you and they start talking about how good you're doing and how great you're doing. And so you go home and, and here comes that, that dry devil coming around by the uh, march, and, and he starts visiting you, and you go three or four steps backwards. Knowing this all the time, you're going backwards. I can pray, and I can get back there. I know how I got there, and, and I can get back there, and I can get back touching God. And you want to make a giant step forward. Instead of little by little and covering it, you make a giant step forward, and man, this feels so good, and boy, the world, and you know why it's so quiet in here? Because this is where most of us live. We live in a place where we make these steps forward. We come to these conferences, and we pray through, and men of God preach faith into us, and we say, yeah, and as soon as we get in our car and pack our bags and head home, on the way home, we're messing with something we shouldn't mess with. We let our mind go places it shouldn't go. We lose control of our inner man. 
because you've learned that you can get back. But here's the problem. We look at you five years later and you're still in the same place. That's why you're in the same place. Because when you make a little bit of progress, make a little bit of progress, you got to hold it. you got to hold that line. Brother Taylor used to preach. Hold that line. Hold that line. When you understand holiness and, and you get something covered in holiness in your life, hold it. Listen to me. We got a spirit in America today amongst oneness preachers that are saying this ain't necessary anymore and that ain't necessary anymore. Let me tell you, those are preachers that are sliding back. The slide, brother Bo. We, I mean, these men know it. it that's the problem because uh, to attract people. I've seen it too, brother Marks. I've seen some of this junk and I see it. And, 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 and you know, I tell, I tell what you preach at home when I see your fruit. Matthew chapter 7 said, you know men by their fruit. And your people show up at a meeting and they don't look right. They look like they could go from here to a strip joint and fit right in. Something's wrong somewhere. Somebody's not preaching. Somebody's backing up on the message. And Maggie used to say, she'd say, we have not so learned Christ. We don't do that here, honey. Let me tell you how she used to be seated. But, and I'm, I'm, I'm finished, really. I'm, I'm close. But my Aunt Maggie used to tell Brother Terry she'd see something in a church. And, and, and I mean, they, they, they passed their church at six, 700 in the 60s. I got her Bible. I, I've got where they averaged 530 or 40 in 1963. Had a, a revival of Brother Joe Duke where they prayed through 106 people in four weeks. Uh, I mean, great revival, great, but that's when I was a kid in church. Brother Bean held two, three long revivals there when I was a kid. And, and here's what she would do. She'd see something that, that Brother Terry, you know, he just preached and having revival and, and, and raising preachers and stuff. And, and Sister Terry would say, let's go for a drive, honey. And, and he knew he was fixing to get a sermon. And, and they got in the car, and they might drive out and visit the dump, or who knows where they're going and, and she'd say, have you, have you noticed that, that this young girl and this young guy, I think it was Ray Brown one time, was kissing my sister out at Hart Park on a Saturday afternoon. And, and Sunday, Brother Terry got up and he said, stand up, Ray Brown. And, and Ray Brown stood up. He said, you kissing Katie Parker out at Hart Park? And, and Brother Ray, he's pretty sharp. He goes, no, sir, I wasn't, Brother Terry. He said, what was you doing? He said, she is kissing me, Brother Terry. <laughs> But Aunt Maggie would see something and, and she'd say, let's go for driving. And, and she'd say, you notice those skirts and you notice those hose they're wearing and, and, and you notice this and you notice that. And, and, and Brother Terry said, well, no, I hadn't seen that. She said, I think it's about time maybe you said something about that. And, and she'd get him all worked up. And here he comes, Brother Bo. He, he locked in, boy. He is headed for that platform and everybody knew, uh-oh. My kids are saying this morning, what's wrong with daddy? Mama said, he ain't. She goes, well, is he being mean to you? They said, no, he just won't talk to us. I'll be fine after today. <laughs> For a week or so till this comes up again, I told my wife, I'm going to kill myself doing this. And Brother Terry get to church and he would blast with both barrels. I mean, he had let him have it. And, and, and then Aunt Maggie would come over to him like this, Sister Mayo. She'd come over to him and she'd say, oh, honey. But Terry don't mean that. He, 
he, he loves you and, and he don't want to hurt your feelings and just pray with him and talk about how mean he was. She put him up to every bit of it. Right? That's the way it went in Bakersfield. But scores were, you know, tens of preachers and, and people come out from under that. They, they love people and, and they're watching all the time. And, and the influence that she had on him and her prayer life, was it's legendary. And God blesses that. I mean, when you do, uh, you know, Brother Morton, uh, a few years back, had, uh, had me down to do a men's meeting or something. And, and uh, you know, I'm always cautious when he has me come because I know I'm fixing to get something. It, he just lets me preach to be nice while I'm there, but he's wanting to get on me about something. <laughs> and I took my wife, and we took Promise, and Grant with us, and he took us out to every meal and treated us like, his family, you know, and I mean, he's always treated me fantastic. In fact, the day I got my license or went to met the board and got my license approved, um, in like an 83, um, brother, uh, well, I can't name the tall guy in Northern California went charismatic anyway. And he came out of Bakersfield and he's a real good friend of mine. Yeah, Duke, that's right, brother, bro. You're right. And, and anyway, he's got me out in the hall and he's just kind of grooming me. And let me use this young man again. Come up here. Here's what he's doing. He's like, He's got his hands on my shoulder, and he's talking to me, and he's about six, two or three, you know, and he's just kind of talking to me, and, and, and Brother Morton walks up. He comes up, he does that. You'd think he's got 245s because the way he, he's like big iron on his hip, you know. He comes up there, and he looks at Duke, and he looks at me, and he said, don't be contaminating this boy. You can sit down. Thank you. Don't you contaminate him. And they both came from, you know, well, Brother Morton didn't really come from our church, but he was just a student of Brother Terry. And, and that's where our relationship started. And he told people to stay away from him. And we don't want your charismatic influence on him. And, and you know, we go along, we pray people through and start some other churches and get things going. And he sees kind of a, a little dip in my life. And he has me down to preach. Um, a men's meeting, then stay through the weekend, and, and about after the second service, we're sitting in a like a Black Angus or something, having a steak dinner, and my whole family's around there. And here's what he says to me: "He said, you know, Brother Parker, he said sometimes a guy just needs to rejuvenate himself." And I go, "Yeah." And so that's all he said to me. And, and what he was telling me in front of my family, there's no way me getting home and say, well, yeah, I had a little conversation with Brother Morton. No, he did it in front of my, my wife and kids. And so what would you do? I, I felt like I had the air popped out of me. But he was right. And he recognized something in me that I was, I was having a little tough time. I was having a little slide there. And I went home and I told our church what he said to me. And I said, I'm fixing to get rejuvenated and I did, Brother Mayo, but I needed him to tell me. Yes, sir. I needed the man of God to tell me, hey, yes, sir. there's something wrong in you. Yes. You don't have a pastor, and you're crossways with your pastor. He's not going to tell you what's wrong with you. Just you being crossways with him is plenty enough, and don't ever think he doesn't know ten times more where you're at in the spirit than you do. hundred times more. Let me tell you something. We make our living reading faces. And we can tell when you're out of aces. So 
So for a taste of your whiskey, I'll give you some advice. You'd do well to listen to what I'm telling you. When that old man of God just makes a comment about you, you better take it like it's life or death. It is life. Let's stand and love God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Woo! Well, I got through one page out of eight, so I'm being nice to you. Brother Martin was just with us and, and not long ago. And, um, and we're sitting around the house, and uh, he goes, hey, Brother Parker. And I go, well, here it comes. Here it comes. And it came. And here's what he said to me. He said, you know, a man can learn how to preach. He said, a man can learn how to preach. And his personal life not be right. And that's adult talk in the Pentecostal church. But we that are preaching know it's true. That's a scary place to be. You know what he's telling me? He raised a lot of preachers. I mean, he's got a list like Brother Terry had of preachers that, that came up under Brother Morton that's, that are proven. And what he's telling me, he said, Don't, no matter how much you preach, and no matter how much God uses you, you got it. And, and, and he said this to me. He said, you know, there's really only about three things that matter, Brother Parker. I said, what? This is all in this visit a few months ago. He said, a man... And his doctrine and his life. That's about all that counts. He said, you, you got to look at the man and you got to examine his doctrine. And then you got to examine his life. If you can come to the pulpit and you can preach up a storm and, and get people excited and get them shouting and everything. And then when someone else is preaching, just stand there and watch. There's nothing bothers me anymore. Even when I was a saint of God, we had, I remember one assistant pastor we had, and he'd just sit there like Buddha all through the service. And you let him get up to lead service, and I mean, he was just, let's get with it. And anybody else leading service. My wife grabbed his daughter one time. She were the youth leaders, and, and she run by, and his daughter wasn't worshiping. On a Sunday night, we were shouting and running everywhere. Sister Parker just grabbed her by the arm and jerked her out of that pew, and around she went. And they come around for lap two. That preacher come off the platform and grabbed, stopped my wife. And Brother Terry wasn't there, you know, and he's assistant, paid assistant, and so I guess he thought he was in charge. And he stopped them and told my wife to go sit down. Boy, about a week later, I was down at the school just kind of walking with Brother Terry, and we're just talking about the price of hay and stuff, you know, and, he said, what happened the other night at church? And I go, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, no, you know, what, what happened? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. And a few days later, I come to church on Sunday, and the sister pastor wasn't there. And so I get with Brother Terry. I said, hey, what happened to Brother so-and-so? He said, you know, he left. <laughs> I said, Really? I'm just a saint, you know, a young guy in the church. I said, what happened? He said, you know, um, he told me, he said, I, I don't have a place to go, Brother Terry. I don't have an income. He said, so I paid him for a year. 
I gave him salary for a year and told him to go find a place. And I said, oh. I figured out one thing right there. Don't mess with Robbie. That's Sister Parker. Come here, Sister Parker. I told you I was going to do this. She told me not to, but. <laughs> Come on, baby. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know how to get to where we're at today. You may not want to be, but if you did. All right. I'm going to tell you the, the road map. See these wrinkles? Look real close sometime. And the way you get from zero to where we're at today is step by step in prayer meeting after prayer meeting. And school teaching day after school teaching day. It, I, I know, Sister Mayo, and that's what we say, or, you know. Uh, you look at these ladies that are pastor's wives and, and, and the, the, the directions and the map to getting uh, and doing something for God are in our faces. We bear in our body the marks. We do. And it's for you. It's for you. Our job is to get you to the place God prepared for you. How many wants to go? Amen. Anybody need to pray? This altar is open. We welcome you to come. If they want some music, they can. This don't take a long time, but the booker I know is ready to preach. But I think it's a good time to pray, don't you? If there's something wrong between you and your pastor, take it to God right now. If you don't have a pastor, all right, tell God to show you one. Get one. If your pastor's backslid, find one that's not. Amen. Lay it on me. Thank you.